If you'll turn in your Bibles to Leviticus 23, I want to speak to you this morning along the lines of the series that we've been preaching on the God of festive joy, the God of the festival. And today, we're going to kind of bring our thoughts to a close, at least in regard to the spring festive cycle of the Old Testament. There were two cycles of festivals under the law in the Old Testament. There was a spring cycle, which was the planting time whenever they planted their crops. And then there was a fall cycle, if you will. They harvested their crops. And today we're going to talk about the Pentecost. The ongoing festival, you are living in the Pentecost, which was the conclusion, as I said, of the spring Jewish festive cycle. Let's read in Leviticus 23 and verse 15 to set the context. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, which is the feast of the firstfruits, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days. And ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. The word Pentecost, penta, is the word 50. It's where that comes from. He says to count 50 days. Now, one thing that I think we can agree on as we have looked at these festivals The Lord was very specific, wasn't he? I mean, he wanted it done the way he wanted it done. And that's not Brother Tim saying, well, you ought to do it the way Brother Tim says to do it. I mean, the Lord was so specific, even down to the details of the amount of flour to put into the bread they were baking. So let's don't think that today, 2,000 years after the Pentecost we're going to look at, and after Christ went back to the throne or... You could say 3,500 years after the Lord was so specific about how he wanted things done in his festival. Let's don't think today that he just doesn't care how we worship. He does care. And he tells you very specifically in the word of God how to do it. And as a side note, up until, you know, a few hundred years ago, everybody pretty much worshiped the same way in terms of the simplicity of the worship. It's gotten very, very complicated today. Men have complicated worship and added things to worship. The Lord had it very simple in the New Testament for worship. And I'm really glad that we don't have as as many specific details like he gave them in the Old Testament. You can see how it it was hard at times for them to keep up with the mind and the heart of the Lord. But as we've been talking about the God of festive joy, as a brief reminder, remember the weekly Sabbath? was one of God's holy days. You know, our God is a God of festive celebration. And he built all of these holidays, which is the word from holy days. He built all of these holidays into the calendar. Did you know that, we're not looking at this today, but did you know that he even built a one-year break, a one-year vacation into the calendar where they wouldn't plant to let the ground replenish the nutrients and such. That was part of the reason. There were natural reasons he required that, but it was also a spiritual thing for the Lord saying, 
I'll take care of you for that year. As a matter of fact, you say, well, that's not very important. It was important to the Lord because the Jews, they never celebrated that yearly Sabbath. And whenever he sent them into captivity into Babylon, he said, you're going into captivity for the number of years that you never celebrated my yearly Sabbath. I'm going to let my land rest. (laughs) That's something, isn't it? Don't tell me the Lord doesn't keep up with things like that. Now, I don't want you to go away from here thinking, well, he's keeping tabs on me. Well, yeah, he is keeping tabs on you. But child of God, you're living in the time of grace. It's a beautiful time to be celebrating the Lord. And today, we look at the Pentecost, which, if you'll allow me this, is the ongoing festival. You are living in the Pentecost. Because it started for us in Acts, the second chapter, and the best I can tell, the Lord has not called the Pentecost off yet. That's kind of neat, isn't it? If you just kind of can wrap your mind around that. Something that started almost 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, we're still living under that 2,000 year long festival. Very important. It concludes the spring festive cycle. Now, it's interesting. You've got the weekly Sabbath, which was a weekly holiday or holy day for rest. Then you had the Passover, which is when they came out of Egypt. You remember they sacrificed the lambs and the Lord, the the death angel passed over the houses that had the blood on it. Everybody was under judgment in Egypt, the Israelites and the Egyptians. But where the blood was, the Lord passed over. And then the very next day starts the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. They overlap in the spring cycle. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread begins and it goes for the next seven days. And in the midst of that was another festival, which was the Feast of the First Fruits. So all three of those kind of come together at the same time. And then he says, from the Feast of the First Fruits, number seven Sabbaths and add one day. And y'all know the Sabbath is on Saturday. I don't have to tell y'all that, right? You know that. The The Sabbath, the Old Testament was Saturday, the day of rest. And what's the day after Saturday? Huh. It's Sunday, right? (laughs) You want to know why we worship on Sunday? It's not just because the Lord was resurrected on Sunday morning, because He came out of the grave. It is also because that is when the Pentecost began 50 days later after the Lord's resurrection. You want to know why we meet on Sunday? Because we're still celebrating Pentecost. We're still in that cycle of celebration, if you will, in that festival from almost 2,000 years ago. It's when it was implemented. The church is living in that age. Now, the reason the Pentecost was important and the reason he said this was because it was the feast of the first wheat harvest. You remember we talked about the feast of the unleavened bread a while back and the feast of the first fruits? Well, that was a barley harvest because the barley would grow quicker. The wheat would come in a little bit later. The wheat was was better, if you will. And the wheat would come in later and they would do a, uh, this would be a first fruit of the wheat harvest. And that's what you read about there in Leviticus 23. There were other names for the Pentecost. It was called the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of the 50th Day. It was called the Day of Pentecost, the Feast of Harvest. It was also called the Day of the First Fruit of the Wheat Harvest. The Jews called it the Feast of Conclusion. And I'll tell you why. It relates to the number 50 here in just a minute. It was also known as the season of the giving of the law. There is so much significance to the time of Pentecost. Because when the Lord Lord first sent Moses and Aaron to talk to Pharaoh, 
the first, one of the first things that they tell Pharaoh is, the Lord wants his people to come out of Egypt to go out here and hold a, con- a holy convocation or a holy festival to him. And it's a reference to the Pentecost. Because it was about 50 days from the time they came out of Egypt on the Passover night till they come to the foot of Mount Sinai, which is where the law was given. <laughs> Very significant. This was the season of the giving of the law. Okay? Now we're living in the season of the giving of grace. You get that? So you count 50 days after the Sabbath in the, in the time of the Passover and the time of the unleavened bread feast and all of the experts, that Jewish experts, uh, commentators or whatever, agree. There might be one or two naysayers here or there, but everybody agrees that it was, it was on Sunday. I mean, the day after Saturday is Sunday. That's one of the reasons, again, why we meet on a Sunday. So 50, the, the significance of 50 days is in the Jewish economy, in the Jewish understanding, 50 meant that which is full full price given, full payment. It meant freedom. It meant release. It meant harmony. That's what 50 meant. It's very important. The mechanics of the Feast of Pentecost was there were sacrifices made. You can read about that. The sacrifices were pretty much the same in all of the feasts, all of the festivals. But there's something interesting that occurred in the Feast of the Pentecost is because they were to bring two loaves of bread And this is the only sacrifice in the festivals where the Lord instructed them to cook this bread with leaven in it. You know, leaven is usually bad. You know, it symbolizes sin. And you remember the feast of the unleavened bread. But in the day of Pentecost, the priests were to bring these two gargantuan loaves of bread before the people. And that was a sacrifice to the Lord. They were huge. It says there were like five hand breadths across and they were maybe a foot thick. And that's a big loaf of bread right there. You think about the loaves that you go to the store. You know, they're about like this. You carry them easy. Don't crush them, you know. Well, here they come out with these, you know, two or three feet long loaves of bread. And they had to take these loaves and wave them before the Lord, north and south, east and west. It's the only sacrifice where leaven was commanded to be used. There's a lot of people that have a lot of different thoughts about that. But to me, it says that when we come to the age of grace, when we come to the time of grace, God has paid for your sins. You're like that bread that comes before the Lord each Sunday. You've still got sin in you. But you can come before the Lord because you're living in the age of grace. Like that woman that we heard about this morning who had sin demonstrated so so distinctly in her life and yet the Lord looked upon her upon her leaven he didn't say I excuse it and it's okay but he just said go forth and sin no more that's what the Lord says to you today in the age of grace in the season of Pentecost he says go forth and sin no more look at your life and see what's going on in your life and examine yourself you know judgment begins with yourself before you're ever capable of judging anything else That's what the age of grace says to you. That's what the celebration of the Pentecost is for the church today. Look at yourself and see what's going on there and evaluate it and go forth and sin no more. Get that leaven out of your life. You say, well, I come back and I've still got leaven. That's right, but keep going with it. There's not a verse in the scripture that says to quit. (laughs) It says to keep going, keep repenting, keep going with that until you are with the Lord one day and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Praise God. The Feast of the Pentecost was one of the great three festivals. The Passover was the first. 
And you had the unleavened bread that when you came for Passover, you were there for the week for the unleavened bread. And then the, the big three was the Passover, the Pentecost, and then one we're not going to talk about today, but the Feast of the Ingathering, which was in the fall. So this Pentecost was the second of the big three feasts. And look, it was the memorial of the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. This was a memorial. Fifty days, they leave Egypt and they arrive out in the wilderness. Now remember, if you do look at the geography of it and you look at the map, if you see Egypt and you see the promised land would be to the north, well, God told them to go to the south. Go down here to Mount Sinai, which is the same place where the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Very significant. The Lord said, I don't want you to go straight to the promised land. He said, I've got something special to give you. You go down south to Mount Sinai and I will speak to you there. And I'll show, and, and listen, one of the most amazing events in the Old Testament occurs. You say, well, I thought the Red Sea was the most amazing event. That is amazing. It's amazing. Well, I thought Gideon in the 300 was the most amazing event. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> There's a lot of amazing things in the Old Testament. We could go on and on. You know, Daniel in the lion's den. You know, the three Hebrew children in the fire. But I'm going to tell you. In terms of the greatest things that have occurred, I think it's often overlooked because we've watched Charlton Heston too many times in the Ten Commandments, I think. <laughs> Maybe you've never seen it. Maybe you'll go watch it. It's a pretty good movie. But look, one of the things that that movie overlooks and one of the things that I think we miss is the Lord himself comes down on Mount Sinai and he first speaks directly to the people. God from heaven descends and speaks to the people. <laughs> and they can't take it. It's so unnerving and so scary and so terrible and they beg Moses Moses you go let him talk to you and come back and tell us what he says it's too much we can't take it that's pretty significant that God from heaven came down and spoke to a nation that's pretty incredible I dare say it's the most incredible event in the Old Testament and some of us are sitting there thinking well you know I hadn't read that lately you ought to go read it we're going to talk about it here briefly this morning so he takes them from Egypt through the Passover festival, and he takes them down to Sinai, which is the Pentecost, the 50 days from the time that they left. And there he gives them the law. And don't ever forget, the Lord says this. You can read about this in the book of Exodus when they come down. It's in Exodus 19. And he says to them, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Don't ever forget how the people of Israel went from Egypt, the darkness and slavery of Egypt, to the freedom that they had in the Lord. He says, I bore you. You see, you didn't get yourself out of Egypt. There's no way that they could have released themselves. Moses had a mind to do that when he was 40 years old. And he thought, well, I the, must be the deliverer. I'm the, I'm the heir to Pharaoh's house. I must be the deliverer. Well, that didn't work out too well, did it? He went into exile for 40 years. And then whenever the Lord sent him back down there, the Lord bore them on eagles' wings. <laughs> That's a beautiful picture. You think about being born on the wings of eagles. I, Brother Luke, I have to get that reference to the Lord of the Rings in there, you know. But whenever the eagles show up and they, they fly those guys away, I mean, I, I'm jealous. I want to fly on a giant eagle's wings. <laughs> You know, that, that's an amazing picture to think the Lord symbolizes that. I took you out of Egypt, I loaded you up, and I carried you on eagle's wings. You flew, and I brought you unto myself. Is that not a picture of the child of grace today? You, you didn't get yourself out of the darkness of sin in Egypt. You didn't just wake up one day and say, well, I think I'll be a good person. I think I'll follow the Lord. No, the Lord bore you on eagle's wings out of the darkness and depravity and, and deadness of your sin. And he carried you to a place of freedom through grace. You see, 
That's so important. That's the message of the gospel. You don't do it yourself. You don't, you don't opt in. You don't get baptized for that to happen. You don't make a decision for that to happen. The Lord decided it was time to take my people out of Egypt. And whenever He decides for you, child of God, to take you out of the darkness of Egypt and the darkness of your sins, He bears you on eagle's wings and brings you forth unto Himself. You want to know how they got down there in the desert? The Lord brought them forth unto Himself. And it's a very interesting read there in the book of Exodus. In nine, the, if you want to turn there to Exodus, the 19th chapter, we'll mention a few things from the 16th verse. This is where they have come to the Lord. And notice in verse 1, it says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt. Look at verse 16. The Lord said, Sanctify yourself. Three days from now, I'm coming down to talk to you. In verse 16, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. You say, why are we spending time with this? Because this was the first Pentecost. This was the first of the 50th day from the Passover. And look at what happens. The people, the whole camp trembled. Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. They stood at the nether part of the mount. They're afraid. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. Can you just picture that scene there before the people as they trembled? God Himself is coming down from heaven and He sends smoke because they can't behold Him. If they see Him, they would be obliterated, including Moses. They would be destroyed because they cannot behold the Holy of Holies, you see? So God comes down under cover in that smoke and in all of that, and they're afraid and terrified. The Lord came down on verse 19, and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake. You want to know what Moses said? You can go read in the book of Hebrews exactly what he said whenever they were so afraid of what was going on before them. They thought the world was going to shake apart. By the way, this is a miniature picture of the return of the Lord. And so Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice, and the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. <laughs> this is a terrifying picture on the day of Pentecost. Terrifying. Moses finally says, we can't take it anymore, Lord. So the Lord says, okay. And he calls Moses up. And if you go on and read about Moses being up there 40 days and whatever, you'll find that while Moses was up there, the people lost their nerve again. And they were so fickle. <laughs> and Aaron made a calf there for them to worship. And Moses goes back down. And this is very significant because you know how many people died because of their disobedience there that day, which was connected to Pentecost. You know how many people died? 3,000. 3,000 died. So what in the world does that have to do with anything? Turn to Acts, the second chapter. Another Pentecost. This was the first Pentecost. The Pentecost that you're still living under begins in Acts, the second chapter. Fifty days from the day that Jesus was resurrected. You remember, they didn't know exactly what to do when Jesus went back to heaven. You can read that in the first part of the book of Acts. They were asking, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, after all that teaching and all that time and all that instruction, and often you'll find in the Gospels, it will say to you, it will say, now the apostles didn't understand what Jesus meant until He was resurrected and until He went back to heaven, see? So in the book of Acts, the second chapter, this promise that Jesus had told them about is, because, is becoming fulfilled. It's the day of Pentecost. That makes sense, doesn't it, that the Lord would coincide what he wanted to happen on such a great day of festive joy. 
Thousands of people were in Jerusalem. Thousands. It is believed that because of the timing of Pentecost, that there were probably more people coming to the Pentecost festival than there were to the Passover or to the Unleavened Bread or the other festivals that were going on, or even the in-gathering, because it was more convenient, and it was a better time of year. It was summertime, and it was easier to travel in those days. So it's very likely, according to history and tradition, that there were more people at this Pentecost than there would have been at the Passover. You remember the Passover is when Jesus held the uh, final Passover of the Old Testament law and he instituted the Lord's Supper and he goes and sacrifices himself and all of that happens. 50 days later after his resurrection, here they are. Acts 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost, the full measure, when it was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, that's other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And this, this that was going on was spread throughout the city. And people came to hear what was going on. And there were about at least 18 different nations represented there with 18 different languages. And each of these nations, people from other nations, could understand what was being said in their language. This was a miracle. And this had been foretold by the Lord. You see, think about it. Now, look, listen, I know, y'all, I know y'all love me and I love you. Well, I hope you love me. I feel like you do. <laughs> One of these days I won't be here. You know, I will lose my life. I'll lose my breath. I'll be with the Lord. And you'll have someone else standing here pastoring you, especially you younger guys. You listen. Brother Tim won't be here forever. I'm not supposed to be here forever. (laughs) You know, but I love you. You love me. My kids love me. I love them. Nobody wants to be separated. You know, I want to be here with you. I don't want to be somewhere else. I want to be with my family. But when somebody dies or somebody moves on for whatever reason, there is you know, like a separation anxiety. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's, there is no closer person in this world to me than my wife. And God forbid, I want to be with her everywhere at all times. <laughs> it's just kind of heartbreaking to have to go to work every day. <laughs> But she is, she is more than a friend, more than a partner, more than a wife. I mean, that's the way it, it's supposed to be that way. But if something happened to me or to her, there'd be separation anxiety, right? And I'm just sinner Tim, filled with sin. Can you imagine being with the Son of God who's perfect and never says anything out of the way? And you're hanging on His every word. And he keeps telling them, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm going away. But I'm not going to leave you comfortless. John 14, John 15, John 16, the last sermon that he preaches to them before he goes to the cross, he tells them again and again and again, I will not leave you comfortless, I'm going to go away. If I don't go away, then this other thing I've got for you is not going to come. And that other thing that the Lord had for them was coming at Pentecost. And it was the Holy Comforter. It doesn't mean that the Holy Ghost hadn't been around before. It doesn't mean that the Holy Ghost hadn't been borning people again for centuries before this. But in this unique and special time, the Lord sent the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Comforter. And that was something unique and special that they never had before. And child of grace, you're living in that time still now. You're living in the time of the Holy Ghost. The reason 
Jesus is not walking around and sitting down with us talking like he did when he was here with the, uh, when he was with the apostles. It's because the age of the Holy Ghost is here. The age of Pentecost is here. The full measure has come in. That's what Penta means, Pentecost. The full payment has been made. The full price has been paid. The full release has come to you, child of God. And you've got the Holy Ghost, the Holy Comforter. You say, why doesn't Jesus just come down and talk to us? He does because it's his spirit, you see. He's in your heart. He's in the church in a special way. And he manifests himself to, for his glory. And he confirms to you that what Brother Luke is preaching or Brother Neil or Brother McNeil or Brother Tim, what we're preaching from the word of God, the Holy Spirit confirms to you that that's the truth. It says this is right. He says he will not speak of himself, but he will speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Holy Ghost in Pentecost was there for. They were having separation anxiety. They were still staying up in the upper room there somewhere scared to death. Just 120 of them until the day of Pentecost. Until that time of festival came. And child of grace, they celebrated. Let me tell you, they celebrated to the tune of those thousands of people that were gathered there. It says that they came to the apostles and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? <laughs> after they heard the preaching of the gospel, after they heard how it all made sense about Christ was the Messiah, Christ was the Son of God, Christ was the Savior, you go and read that message that Peter preached there. It is absolutely amazing. And I'm telling you, one of the reasons that he preached it was because the Holy Ghost came in power to him and put all of that together in his mind so he could tell the people that day in all those different languages that Christ was the Son of God, that the full measure has been paid and that there's a new age here now. Christ has ascended to the throne on the 40th day from the resurrection. And here we are on the 50th day, he says. And this is the fulfillment of what was spoken all in the Old Testament. The Holy Ghost has come. The Greek word there for Holy Ghost or Holy Comforter is a unique word that only applies four times to the Holy Comforter. His parakletos, which means para means to come near to. The Holy Ghost comes near to the child of God. This is what the Apostle Paul talked about in Ephesians, the first chapter. He talked about being sealed with that promise ring. Y'all remember weeks and weeks and months ago we talked about the Holy Spirit promise ring where He has given you an engagement ring in your heart that confirms to you that you are betrothed, that you are, you are set to be picked up one day by your holy husband who's going to take you to the wedding feast by the way, that's a great celebration waiting to come in the sky. A great festival that will go on for all of eternity. Why are we celebrating it now? Why can't we get that in our minds and our hearts now to celebrate the Pentecost, to celebrate the full measure now as these people did? They came to him and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were pricked in their heart when they learned that Jesus was the Christ and they had helped crucify him. Maybe that Roman soldier was among the crowd who had looked upon him after nailing the nails in his hands and, and putting him up on that cross. And he said, surely this was the son of God. And now Peter has come along and said, this was the son of God. Men and brethren, what shall we do? And you read what Peter told them. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the parakletos. That's what was there to comfort them, to guide them, to remedy their separation anxiety. You ever have separation anxiety from heaven, a place you've never even been? You know, C.S. Lewis wrote about that. You know, a place we've never even been, a place we've never even seen, and yet there's a yearning in our hearts for that, you see? 
They were having separation anxiety from the Lord Jesus Christ because he'd gone back to heaven. And Peter said, there's something here for you now. You don't have to have separation anxiety for the promises unto you and to your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words that he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Oh, child of grace, don't you know we're still living under that right now? Under the wicked generation that we see around us now and the way the culture is and the way the world is going, going towards man, going towards humanity. A humanism going towards those things, I tell you, the Lord says today, in this age of Pentecost, in this age of celebrating the full measure of Christ, He says to save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto Him. About how many? 3,000 souls. How many people were slain that day? The first Pentecost, whenever the Lord came down and the people were being disobedient, it was 3,000. And what came down? The Lord came down in fire upon the mount. And what happens here? Cloven tongues of fire come down on this Pentecost. And the people began to speak freely in other languages. And 3,000 were baptized and became a part of the church. And that continues. It continues today. We're still living in that age. We're still baptizing. We're still, we're still helping our separation anxiety by the paracletos, by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Comforter. Watch this now. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. They continued. You understand Pentecost was a one-day festival. One day. And from that day of Pentecost, they continued to celebrate. They moved forward and it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. How many times have I preached to us about that? That that's the function of the church. That's what the church is to be doing, is to continue in the teachings of the apostles and the doctrine and continue in the fellowship and continue in the communion and the breaking of bread and fellowshipping over meals and prayers. That's what the church is continuing to do and celebrate for the last almost 2,000 years. Doesn't that make you feel like you're a part of something special? When I think about that and how unworthy I am to be a part of the church of God, unworthy to speak the name of God, unworthy to stand before the people of God, and yet for 2,000, almost 2,000 years, the, the church, I'm, I'm part of what's been celebrated for the last 2,000 years. That ought to make you feel special. That ought to make you want to jump up and get baptized again. I know I, I feel that way. But you don't have to be baptized again. You only have to do it one time. But if you haven't been baptized, come on and do it the first time, okay? Fire came down from heaven and cloven tongues of fire. 3,000 people were converted. You want to know why we meet on Sunday? It's not just because the resurrection was on Sunday morning, but it's because the Pentecost festival began 50 days after the resurrection and it continues down to this day. You're part of a 2,000 year long festival that continues where the Holy Ghost comes and calms you from your separation anxiety from the Lord. Amen. Are you feeling it? <laughs> Do you feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Are you celebrating? They continued in the apostles' doctrine and prayer and fellowship and breaking of bread. And that's what we need to be doing today. Continuing the festivities that the God of the festival has implemented. The spring festive cycle was full and done. And child of grace, we are in that spring festive grace cycle until the Lord returns you know what's coming in the fall, right? <laughs> Need I say that? The harvest is coming in the fall. <laughs> you see, there's another festival coming. 
There's a greater festival coming that's even greater than the Pentecost. And whenever the Lord comes back and the trumpet sounds and He descends from heaven with a shout and the people of God come forth from the graves, oh my, what a harvest celebration that will be. Our God of festive joy doesn't want you to have to deal too much with separation anxiety until that happens. He's here with you now. I trust He's here with us today. And if the, if the God of festive joy has moved your heart to follow the Lord in baptism, it's time to do that. Get on board with the celebration. Get on board with what the Lord has given you 2,000 years ago when the full measure came in. Isn't it glorious? Are you celebrating? <laughs> I know I want to. I'm sure I don't know how to, but I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate the, measure, the full measure of Christ being our Passover lamb, the full measure of Christ being the unleavened living bread of God, the full measure of Christ being the first fruits of them that slept and He's in heaven today, and the first fruits of our celebration, which is the Pentecost. If that's your burden today, we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.